Thank you. It's uh, great to be here with you again. I'll tell you, Suzanne and I are enjoying so much our time here at Calvary. We've been here now a month, and you know the highlight of the week is just the time we are spending with many of you for coffee or lunch or dinners together or just time out in the city. And uh, thank you for your hospitality, warm welcome to us. That really is a highlight. And that's what I told you for the first weeks we were here. That's really one of the reasons we're here is to connect with you and engage and get to know you as a church family. So thank you for so many of you who have stepped forward and initiated opportunities for us to get together. We continue to tell you we want to do that. We have time for that. And so don't, uh, don't feel like you have to hesitate or step back, but step forward. And we would love to uh, spend time with you as well, personally. Uh, I've enjoyed our time, my time with our deacons. You have a wonderful group of church leaders here. You know that, of course, <clears throat> but I want to underscore that. Your deacons are committed to the Lord, first of all, and then committed to Calvary in ministering and serving here. And it's been a great joy to work with them. And uh, last week, <clears throat> a week ago, on Saturday morning, we spent several hours together, the deacons and I, and just talking about the agenda for our months here with them, uh, what we would hope God would accomplish, and what directions we might want to move in over these next coming months. And, of course, one of the points of our discussion was how I can be of help to them in this uh, season of transition in the pastoral search. Uh, transition, important season for your church. I know many of you uh, still feel that emotionally. Having said goodbye to your beloved pastor Nathaniel and his family who have now returned to the, gone to the States, a sense of grief of transitioning and now getting ready for the next pastor, a permanent pastor that God will bring in his timing. And so as we move through that season, we understand the emotional challenge and change of that. Uh, part of that is going is, is seeking to put together a, what's called a pastoral profile. Who's the pastor? What's the pastor look like? that will be coming here in terms of some qualities and gifting and uh, the way God has wired that pastor so there can be a good fit with Calvary. You know, you can be a good pastor and you can be, have a good church, but they don't always fit together. It's like uh, in a marriage, uh, a couple. You can be a good man, you can be a good woman. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good fit in marriage. You have to find the right fit. And so that's what this pastoral profile that the deacons are working on is to do, to hope we get that right fit. And it's very important, as you can imagine. And I wonder if the deacons were to come to you and say, give us some help, what uh, qualities or characteristics ought to be on that pastoral profile? What's most important to you in that fit with Calvary? I wonder what you might suggest. That would be an interesting discussion, wouldn't it? We all have certain qualities and characteristics that would provide some good discussion. It might provide some good disagreements, some things we'd have to work through. Uh, I've seen some pastoral profiles over the years that, uh, quite honestly, Jesus would barely qualify for. So uh, detailed are they, so high-sounding. They certainly would not qualify apostles Peter and, and Paul. They wouldn't even be in the running. And so we have to think through what's a good biblical, correct pastoral profile for us here. Sometimes it seems like churches can be looking for a super pastor. You know, the super pastor, the, the one who can do everything, including walking on water. And uh, that's the guy we're looking for. Well, that's not what your deacons have put together. But it would be interesting to know 
think for a minute, what would those maybe two or three requirements that you would put on the pastoral profile for our church? Now, certainly we would go beyond the basics, that he has to be a follower of Jesus and a, a lover and teacher of God's word, but what else might you include in that? You don't need to share those thoughts with you or anyone nearby you, but keep them in mind for a few minutes as we move forward because eventually we're going to have an opportunity this morning to compare our list of super pastor with the one that we discover in the Bible, in a passage today particularly that we're going to be looking at from the book of Philippians that was read just a few minutes earlier. Philippians, that's the New Testament book we've been making a journey through over the last uh, several weeks. If you have your Bible, you can even turn there this morning or find it on your device. Uh, Philippians, if you're not real familiar with your Bible, it's about halfway through the New Testament. You probably know that Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. And in the New Testament, about halfway through are some letters that were written by uh, different apostles, but many by the Apostle Paul. And Philippians is one that we'll be in uh, this morning. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote Philippians, we've already discovered, uh, was imprisoned in Rome. Now, he was a Roman citizen, so he was generally under house arrest at this time, at least. And that would, uh, would allow him to be eligible for some daily rations, daily food and water, but it had to be brought to him by some friends and provided that way. And he was dependent upon these. While he was also imprisoned in Rome, he was then guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by soldiers in the Roman Praetorian Guard, a very elite group of soldiers. And Paul mentions that while he was there on house arrest in, in uh, Rome, he had two dear friends who ministered to him, who brought him food and water during his imprisonment. And they're described here in this letter to the Philippians, particularly in this passage we come to today, that Paul, while he's in, in prison, in chains, Paul is living an unchained life. And that's been the title of our series, Unchained Living. And we pick that up today in chapter 2, where Paul explains as he has turned his prison cell into a pulpit for the advancement of the gospel. He explains his relationship and his plans for these two dear friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so unless we think that uh, Paul's talking only to pastors or to missionaries, and the rest of us, we get a free pass today. What he has to say doesn't relate to us. Uh, let me remind you that the Bible says that every follower of Jesus is a minister of the gospel. That was one of the great tenets in the 16th century of the Protestant Reformation, the priesthood of the believer. And so we are all ministers of the gospel, some vocationally, some not, but all Christians are ministers of the gospel. So what Paul has to say here about some qualifications for a pastoral profile relates to all of us, whether we vocationally are ministers of the gospel or we are ministers of the gospel simply because we're followers of Christ. These elements of a proven minister apply to us all. And maybe you're here today and you're, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And you wonder, you wonder, what would it look like for my life if I was to follow Jesus? What changes would that mean? Would it mean I have to now keep a new set of rules? Or I have to wear a certain kind of clothes? Or I have to go to a certain kind of church? Or I have to carry a certain type of Bible? 
you get a good glimpse, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, what following Jesus looks like, what he wants to build into your life in some qualities and characteristics that will change your life, will make life the best kind of life that God has for you as we move our way through this passage. So I hope you completed your own thinking a minute ago about some of the qualities that you would have on your pastoral profile list because now we get to compare ours with the one that Paul presents to us. And he begins that passage we read a few moments ago in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So we find that this young man, Timothy, was one of Paul's friends who was caring for him during his imprisonment, his house arrest there in Rome. You may know, if you're familiar with Timothy, that he was Paul's young associate, um, somewhat of a, a, a protege, an apprentice under Paul. Paul's mentoring him, uh, grooming him someday to be Paul's apostolic representative, and Timothy would eventually become that. And so being together in how, under house arrest in Rome, Paul had a daily opportunity to guide and train and uh, co coach Timothy along in his journey of growing into Christ-likeness and growing into a, a minister of the gospel who is worthy as Timothy cares for Paul in his imprisonment. And so it's in some ways rather surprising that Timothy's caring for Paul, but yet Paul's willing to send Timothy. He's willing to release him to go back to the Philippians because that was what was best for them. And the reason he selected Timothy as he describes Timothy as one who has proved himself. I like the way the translation of the message puts it, that Timothy, he's the real thing. Timothy's tried and proven. He's shown himself to be of proven worth. You see, though he's young, Timothy he had been through some spiritual battles, and he's shown himself to be faithful, to be dependable, and to be strong. If you're a young person, maybe in high school or college, don't discount the things that you go through in life. It's a great opportunity for you as a teenager or a 20-something, a college student, to prove yourself, to discover, God, I want you to work in and through my life. I want to be a proven minister of the gospel. And so Timothy was that type of person. And Paul was willing to send him back to those dear friends in Philippi. And then Paul amplifies on that. What, what qualified Timothy to be of proven worth? Well, he says that Timothy had some marks in his life that showed, rose him, he raised, uh, raised him above the crowd of other followers of Jesus. And Paul says one of the first marks of Timothy as a proven minister of the gospel is that Timothy had a, a heart for people. Did you see that when we read that through there? Timothy said he looks out for the interests of others. He's proven himself. 
because his heart is tender toward people. I wonder as you think back of the list of pastoral profile elements that you made just a few minutes ago, was that on your list? Did you specify that that pastor must have a heart for people? That was true of Timothy. That's why he was in ministry, because he loved people. He loved seeing God work in their lives. He loved seeing them grow and discover who Jesus is and then discovering the difference that he can make in their lives as they grow into being more like Christ. And Timothy was committed to caring for people, even when it cost him of his own time and money and convenience and comfort. It reminds me of what uh, one expert, leadership expert said about this kind of leader, John Maxwell. He said, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That was Timothy. He cared for these people. Someone who's a minister of the gospel, someone who's a follower of Jesus who cares for people will make a huge impact upon people. I remember when I was in college, I was away at college and I was invited to go to a church with some friends and we went to that church and I met one of the pastors there. His name was Pastor Tom. And he invited me to hang out with him and several others of us in our, our group. And then I remember, it wasn't too long after that, he showed up at my dorm just to say hi and see how things are going. He invited me to be in a, a Bible study with him and some other uh, guys that were in there. He gave me the opportunity to spend time with him, to do ministry together, to do life with him. He introduced me to his family. He took me on mission trips. He took me boating. He took me camping. We spent time together because he had a heart for people, for college students. I remember when I was struggling in one of my Christian doctrine classes. He came and he sat down and he said, let's talk this through and showed me from the Bible how to discover those truths on my own. And he didn't just do that for me. He did that for many college students, many high school students. And I'd say, humanly speaking, I'm probably in ministry today and have been for my, my ministry career because of his influence in my life. He taught me how to care for people. He taught me what that looked like in a minister of the gospel. I hope you have somebody in your life that's helping you discern and discover that. You don't need to wait until you're 30 or 40 or 50 years old. You do that when you're young, as a teenager, in college, in school. You learn that people are important. We care for them. And then after telling us that's one of the marks of Timothy's proven character, Paul adds another element that marked this young man of being of, as being of proven worth. We see that in verse 22. He said, and he has served with me in the work of the gospel. The work of the gospel. You see, Timothy wasn't just a, a Christian social worker who had a heart for people. His heart for people was blended with his heart for the gospel. Timothy knew that people needed more than just uh, the help he could give them for a job or food or clothing, whatever it might be, uh, caring and praying for them. He knew that they also needed to receive and hear the good news about Jesus. That's what the gospel is. The gospel means good news. And maybe you're not, not uh, so familiar with church or church language. You say, oh, there's some more church language. I don't know what that means. Well, let me tell you what the gospel is. 
So you, you get it clearly. You understand what it means to have a heart for that. The gospel simply means good news. Good news about Jesus. Good news about Jesus and the way of salvation that he has provided for all who believe. In fact, the Bible defines clearly the gospel for us in a couple of passages that you may be familiar with. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul describes the gospel. He says, for I received what I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the gospel, the good news, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. That's the gospel. The good news that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was resurrected, and now offers that to us as our payment for our sin. The Gospel of John puts it like this, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the Gospel. It's simple, isn't it? Straightforward. It's good news about Jesus. You may notice there, because perhaps you thought the Gospel was something real different. Maybe you thought in order to have the Gospel in your life, or God in your life, you had to clean up your life first. You had to take care of some stuff that's there, that some baggage you got to get rid of before you can come to God. It's not there in the gospel. Or maybe you thought you had to belong to the right church in order to find the gospel. Or keep a list of rules in order to be pleasing to God. Or practice a set of religious rites. Or get baptized in a certain way. Or take communion in a certain way. None of that's there in the gospel, is it? The gospel is simple truth about Jesus. And that simple truth is that the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the God who sustains it all, the God who is the king of kings, the Lord of lords and his son Jesus, loves you just as you are today. That God reaches down and says, I want to know you. And there's nothing you or I can do to make God love us more or less. The gospel says God loves you just as you are. And to prove it, he sent his son Jesus, sent him to earth to die on the cross, to pay a penalty that we owed for our own disobedience, our own sin. We owed that penalty, but we couldn't pay it. And then Jesus said, I'll pay it for you. I'll die on the cross. And there he did. And he died on the cross and he was resurrected again so that he could offer to us the freedom and the forgiveness of our sins. He offers it as a free gift. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, and you can't work for it. But Jesus said, I'll give it to you as a free gift that you receive through simple faith. And you receive that and then you dedicate your life to follow him for the rest of your life. That's what the Bible talks about, the gospel. God's free gift of eternal life that begins now. And so if that's new to you, you've never heard that, that's what the gospel is. You see how plain and simple it is. Simple, but not an easy way to follow. Jesus says there are costs to that. But you receive it simply as you open your life to him in faith. And say, Lord Jesus, I need you to come into my life. To forgive me of my sins. To take control of my life from this day forward. 
and to give me the gift of eternal life. If you've never done that, you'd be interested in exploring further how the gospel can change your life. I'd love to sit down and talk with you. Have coffee together sometime this week and explore that. I know the person that brought you to Calvary, perhaps, would, would love to tell you more about that and show you from God's word how the gospel can change your life. And that, cha- that gospel is what changed Timothy's life. And he had a heart for that gospel, to see it work in other people's lives. And he would sacrifice for that. And so Paul said, I have no hesitation to send Timothy back to you because he has a heart for you and he has a heart for the gospel. That's the same gospel that every follower of Jesus must have a heart for. Are you working at developing a heart for the gospel? Praying that God will give you opportunities to live that out and to share that with people. Because we must know it. We must live it. We must be willing to share it. And that's why it's so important as you invite your friends here to Calvary to join you. Maybe it's somebody you've been talking to who's not a follower of Jesus. You say, well, why don't you come with me? Uh, we can let you, let you see the gospel in real life in our church. I want you to know, here's your guarantee. Any friend you bring here who's not a follower of Jesus, they're going to hear that message every week. They're going to experience the gospel because that's what we're about. Loving God, learning his truth, and living out the grace. That's all the gospel. They can be able to hear what Jesus can do in their lives. And then before Paul moves on, he makes a little side comment about Timothy that catches my attention. Uh, We see it in verse 20. Paul says kind of, oh, by the way, I have no one else like Timothy. That means when Paul was considering whom to send to this church in Philippi, He looked across all of his young associate team and he kind of went down the checklist of each one and he thought, well, you know, some are still too focused on themselves. They haven't developed yet a heart for people. And others, they're not giving adequate attention to the gospel of what God can do in someone's life. But Timothy, he stands above the others. He's, I have no one else like him. He's of proven worth. He's shown that he has a heart for people and a heart for the gospel. I tell you, no matter what age you are, young people, middle-aged, old people, we can pray that God give us a heart for the gospel. We want to be in that camp where Timothy was in. When Paul looked across all of his associates, he said, oh, those were of proven worth. Rather than him saying, oh, you're not quite ready. I'll have to pass over you for later. It's a wake-up call for all of us, isn't it? We want to be people who pray for and strive for and cultivate in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit in us to be disciples with a heart for people and a heart for the gospel. And then Paul has one more item for his pastoral profile. He shares that with us as he introduces us to a second friend, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, who also left his mark on Paul's life and on the Philippians. We meet him in verse 25. He said, but I think it's also necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he's distressed because you heard he was ill, and indeed he was ill, and he almost died. 
But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and have less anxiety. Epaphroditus. Paul describes him as a, a brother, a, a co-worker, a fellow soldier. In that description, you see that there was a, a different relationship between Paul and Epaphroditus and Paul and Timothy. But no less meaningful to Paul was his relationship with Epaphroditus. You see, while Timothy was a son serving right alongside Paul, Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier on the front lines of battle, spiritual battle with Paul. Epaphroditus was willing, like Paul, to do whatever it took to complete the work of the gospel in people's lives. And we can mark it down. On Paul's pastoral profile list was this third quality that was exemplified by Epaphroditus. And that is a, a willingness to sacrifice. Paul says he risked his life for you. And he was willing to do whatever it took for the work of the gospel and for the service of God's people. Both evidenced by his willingness to be sent wherever God sent him. In fact, did you see that in these verses? A little note that Paul says there as he describes this fellow soldier. First, he says, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to Paul to bring Paul a care package and a gift from the church. And then he said, now I want to send Epaphroditus back to you with this letter I'm writing. Paul describes him as a messenger. That word he uses for messenger is, really means a sent one. Epaphroditus was one who could be sent. He was willing to sacrifice. And so Paul uses that, that word send three times in these few verses, describing his friend Epaphroditus. Evidently, Epaphroditus knew that one of the marks of a proven disciple is a willingness to sacrifice. You see, when it was time to be sent again to the Philippians to advance the work of the gospel there, Paul said, I, I need you to go. Epaphroditus didn't grumble. He didn't complain. He simply packed his bag, got out his map, and walked out the door. I'll go wherever you send me. You see, being sent and being willing to sacrifice are like inseparable cousins. You rarely have one without the other. Because at the heart of the character of God, get this, is that he is ascending God. Do you remember that? From the earliest times, God sent Abraham to a different country. And over the centuries, God sent repeatedly prophets to his people. And then when time, the time was come, in the fullness of time, God sent John the Baptist to pave the way for Jesus. And ultimately, God sent his son to earth to be the Messiah, to be the Savior, to, to sacrifice his own life for us. And evidently, Jesus picked that up from his father. And he passed it on to his disciples. For in John 20, 21, Jesus told his disciples, As the Father sent me, so I send you. So mark it down. 
you're a follower of Jesus and you have a heart for the gospel and you have a heart for people, I guarantee you, you'll be hearing from God. God wants to send you somewhere to someone. It may be across the seas. It may be the neighbor next door. It might be the student who shares the the desk right next to yours. But God wants to send those who are of proven worth. So get, get ready. Decide now. When the call comes to be sent by God, your answer will be, I'm ready. Show me, show me the way I'm going. And I know it will involve sacrifice. It always does. Just like Jesus being sent to earth, it required great sacrifice. The sacrifice of, of his own life. The ha- sacrifice of his heavenly glory. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12 too that he moved ahead because of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He paid the sacrifice, the penalty. And eventually he sat down at the right hand of God. And I know many of you here this morning could tell your own story and testify uh, of the sacrifice your willingness, your willingness to obey has cost in your life. Maybe you're here in Brazil because God called and said, I want to send you. Maybe this wasn't your home country and God said, I want to send you. And maybe he sent you just weeks ago or maybe years ago, or maybe decades ago. But God sent you to a place that required some sacrifice. And you could tell stories in your own life that there were days when it was hard. Maybe it's still hard. Maybe the the sacrifice was big and costly. But you were willing to make it because of your heart for people and your heart for the gospel. Just like Timothy and Epaphroditus. And others of you may be wondering, is it worth that? Can I say yes to God? Timothy and Epaphroditus would say yes, and it will be more than worth it as you live out your heart for the gospel and heart for people, and you respond to where God sends you and you're willing to make the sacrifice so that we too can be counted among those disciples who are of proven worth. That's what it takes, a heart for people, a heart for the gospel, and a willingness to sacrifice. And strangely, when you put those three together, you get a result that I think is encapsulated in the the words of old St. Augustine. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, back in the fourth century. One time he said that the greater one's love is, the easier the work. Meaning if you have a heart for the gospel and a heart for people, living it out when God calls you, makes it more than worth the sacrifice. And so, as people of proven worth, can we mark it down in our lives that we want to be those that Paul looks across the crowd and says, oh yeah, he or she can be sent. Because she's shown in her her heart a heart for people, and in her life a, a heart for the gospel, and a willingness to say yes when God sends and to pay the sacrifice of that. Let's pray together as we close. God, we thank you that you've given us a roadmap of what it looks like to follow Jesus, of how we too can be those, regardless of our age, young, middle age, or or old, can be of proven worth. We can be the real thing in our walk with Jesus. Lord, we pray that that you'd help us to, to develop 
for your Spirit's work in our lives, hearts that love people, are willing to meet needs and sacrifice for them, a heart for the gospel, to know that that's the life-changing, eternal message of how you love us and you sent your Son to die for us. And then, Lord, a willingness to say yes, to sacrifice, to be sent wherever you call us for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the glory of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.